Well, good morning. We are glad to have you with us on this Palm Sunday. And if you've been following along with us in the book of Colossians, the series that we just finished, you're aware that we have been encouraging people to really try to commit some of God's word to memory. And uh, so we have a, a new verse for this week. Uh, it's out of Matthew 21. We're going to put it up there on the screen. We're just going to read it out loud. It'll be on our website. Hopefully you will kind of meditate on this and because uh, it really is foundational to what's happening through this entire week. We're going to talk about that today. So let's say this together out loud, Matthew 21, 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word yet again. We pray that as we study your word and then move out into uh, our lives, Father, that we would be different, that we would live powerfully because we've been in your presence, we've studied your word, we've tried to engage it, embrace it, and internalize it, and then live it out, Lord. We thank you for these few moments, we pray in your name, amen. Well, today we come to one of the most famous and well-known stories in all of the Bible. Uh, It's the beginning as we kick off Holy Week or Passion Week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. The reality is that this one week of human history, from when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the resurrection on Easter Sunday is the most chronicled week of human history. We know more about this one week than any other week. When you look through the Gospels, some of the Gospels have about one-fourth dedicated to this week, one-third. The book of John, nearly one-half of the book of John is dedicated to this one week of Jesus' life. And uh, we're hoping that this week, uh, today, moving forward, that you will spend some very focused time this week in God's Word. I know that spring break, that's a good thing and a bad thing when it comes to this, right? Sometimes when we have a different schedule, it throws off our, you know, quiet times or whatever. And if you're headed out of town or you're out of town already, um, you know, it's easy to take a kind of take a break from Jesus when you travel. And I'm really encouraging you that this week that you would dive into God's word. And I'm going to give you a tool on the way out today that's going to help you do that. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, about 20 miles east west of the Sea of Galilee, in a small town of about 200 people, about 40 to 80 families. Some say there were closer to 400, but my friends at the Bible Museum tell me it was 200. Jesus did most of his early ministry in the region of Galilee. Closer to the end of this journey, this three-year journey, he spent more time in Jerusalem, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem because the Passover was coming. The fact that Easter and Passover overlap is not a mistake. This was by God's design. He went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to then ultimately become the Passover lamb. I want to give you a little bit of background as Jesus did this because some of the things that occurred right before the events of this day and even some history prior to that help us to understand what was going on in this passage. Luke chapter 19, as he was headed to Jerusalem, he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was vertically challenged. Okay, this is not politically correct in the Bible here at all. This is not. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. This is very important. And Jesus said to him today, as he calls him down out of the tree, and then they go to his house. There's a, a, an interchange that occurs there. And then Jesus says this to him. Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, don't miss what happens next. It says, as they heard these things, meaning all the people, you understand there are a lot of people crowded around. Most of the homes of rich people had courtyards, and people had gathered around to see what Jesus was going to do with this guy, Zacchaeus. And he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And, and here it is, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. There was anticipation building. Jesus had been ministering for three years, doing all kinds of miracles. A little bit of history. The Roman Empire had been in place at this point. We're looking about 30 AD, 33 AD, give or, give or take a couple of years. Rome had been in power since 63 BC, and they were oppressive. Oh, but it started way before that. You remember in 586 BC when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and took everybody off into captivity, and since that time, the nation of Israel hadn't been a nation at all. Now, the Persians allowed them to come back. The Persians ruled for about 200 years. They were very benevolent. They allowed them to rebuild and so forth and so on and kind of left them alone for about 200 years. And then Alexander the Great comes in in the early 300s BC and he infuses Greek humanistic philosophy. We talked about that a few weeks ago into the world. Now, we can thank Alexander for the fact that Greek became so pervasive that the gospel actually spread because the whole New Testament was written in Greek, as well as, as well as the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And so Alexander actually helped the spread ultimately of the gospel. But in a few short years, he had unified everyone with Greek humanistic thinking. Then there were a few different leaders, a few different conquerors who came through until this guy who was a Seleucid named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he came in 167 BC and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. Now you know what happened next because you're, fam you're familiar with this story. You may not realize it, but the revolt at that time of the Maccab led by the Judas Maccabeus, Hanukkah. That's where we understand Hanuk where Hanukkah was founded. And then the Romans come in. By the time Jesus does his ministry, the Jews were done. They were done. They were like, the only way that anything can ever good happen to us ever again is if the Messiah comes. When you read the Old Testament, there are the Jesus coming as the reigning king passages and there's Jesus coming as the suffering servant passages. And by the time Jesus came in the flesh, our ancestors, our first liberation theology ancestors believed all they saw was the conquering king verses. That was the only way they could conceive of anything possibly good happening for them. 
They overlooked the suffering servant verses like the one in Isaiah 53 that said he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. We now know in retrospect that this was talking about Jesus. That's coming later this week. But today... They saw Jesus as the reigning king. In Isaiah 9, it says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here it is. This is the part that you know so well. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, Now you're singing Handel's Messiah in your head. I know many of you are doing that right now. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This was written in 750 BC. And the Jews of the first century, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem that day, they saw that moment through the lens of 750 years of waiting with about 500 years of oppression. You see, Jesus had started his ministry and John the Baptist, as Jesus comes down the, the, the banks to the Jordan, says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people are like, whoa, whoa, wait, what's that all about? Jesus begins to heal. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? It says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, beside women and children. So most of those were married. Most of them had kids. So it's probably closer to 20,000 people. So the news of Jesus was spreading. And with all of that, all of that anticipation, we come to the passage for today. The passage for today, if you have a Bible, it's found in Luke chapter 19. It's, the account is in all four Gospels, but we're going to read out of Luke today. It says, when he drew near, starting at verse 29, it says, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. All the mighty works they had seen, 
saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you're looking at Jerusalem from the south to north, to the east is a valley, the Kidron Valley, up onto the Mount of Olives, and then over to Bethany and Bethphage. Jesus found this donkey there, told him it would be there. He rode up the Mount of Olives and then down the Mount of Olives toward the Temple Mount. There are four things that occur in this passage that make it abundantly clear that everyone in this equation believed that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. Every party involved. The first thing we see in this passage that points to the claim that Jesus is the Messiah is that he came in riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years before this event actually occurred, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Only the Gospel of Matthew tells us that this was actually the fulfillment. I mean, it's, we know that. But Matthew, the Jewish writer of one of the four Gospels, says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and then it's quoted. Jesus said, Go get this donkey. I'm going to ride on a colt that has never been ridden on before because in so doing, in just a few moments, I am going to fulfill Zechariah 9.9 and in so doing, I am going to declare to everyone in the vicinity that I am the Messiah. That's what he said, basically, by doing this thing. Here's a problem. Here's what brings into tension this suffering Messiah versus this reigning Messiah is that no king rides into a town to conquer anything on a donkey. The king riding on a donkey is a peaceful king. Kings rode into town on, when it was in peacetime on a donkey. This is a very his, important historical understanding. If Jesus was going to come to conquer, he would have been riding on a horse. So in spite of the fact that he's declaring himself the Messiah... He's helping them to see that he is coming to conquer in a different way than they expect. The second thing that we see in this passage that points directly to the fact that everyone in this equation understood Jesus' claim to be the Messiah is that the people laid their coats in the road. Verses 35 and 36. And they brought it to Jesus, meaning the donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks in the road. And again, we know from history, we see in 2 Kings 9, and in other elements of history, that when someone was being honored as a king, the people would lay their garments in the road. That seems silly to us. Who's going to pay that dry cleaning bill? We wouldn't do that. That we, that's kind of a throwaway to us. We just kind of read past it. But this was a declaration by the people of who they understood Jesus claiming to be. And there's precedent for it. This has occurred before. 
It was King Jehu in 2 Kings 9 where the people put all of their coats in the road for him to ride on. There's a third element of this passage that helps us understand that Jesus' claim to be the Messiah was recognized in this moment. And it's the shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Matthew 21, verses 9 and 11, through 11. And it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Most people don't, the word Hosanna is a strange word. It's actually a Hebrew transliteration. Why it's not translated for what it actually says is difficult to understand when these things occur. Hosanna simply means save now. Save now. It's not just a like hallelujah or, you know, praises. It's not that. It's a cry that basically says save now O son of David, and the phrase son of David, everyone knew was a messianic title. The only person that we call the son of David is the Messiah. He will sit on his father David's throne. And in their angst, in their frustration, after hundreds of years of oppression, they were crying as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, save us now, O son of David. After three years of healing people, of doing miracles, of going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders in the religious establishment of the day, feeding thousands, turning water into wine, healing people of demonic possession, the people are like, yes, finally, he has come. The fourth element of the passage that tells us with crystal clarity that everyone in this equation understood Jesus' claim to be the Messiah was the response of the religious leaders. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them for what? Why would he need to rebuke them? Because they were claiming, they were honoring him as Messiah. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones that I created, he's saying, I am in charge of this. This all is mine. And if they were quiet, that everything declares the truth that I am declaring today, which is that I am the Messiah. The religious leaders were always there going toe-to-toe with Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to trick him. He had outsmarted them all along the way. He would, they would ask a question, and then he would respond usually with a question, and that stumping them on every turn. Jesus said, I'm not going to rebuke them. I'm not going to rebuke them. Today, kicks off the most sacred and important week of the calendar for anybody that claims Jesus. 
on the table in the lobby and also on our website if you're watching online, there's a little brochure that I'd like you to pick up on the way out. And basically what it does is it's a little map, but it also has different directions about where Jesus was from this point in the week to next Sunday and the resurrection. And it says on Monday, he, we, we, it's pretty clear that he did this, and on Tuesday he did this, and you know, on Thursday we, you know, we have the, the, the Last Supper and all these different things, and I would encourage you to take one of those. And pour over this week at your leisure, in your own time, all of the passages of scripture, all of the different gospel accounts are, are listed in every single one of those entries. And my hope is that this week, you will sink into what's coming on Friday and then what's coming on Sunday, a week from today. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, declaring himself to be the Messiah, recognized by the people and even the Jewish leaders that that was his claim. And yet in less than a week, he's on a cross. How did we get from Hosanna to the son of David today to the cross on Friday. You know, the sociological phenomena of the movements of crowds is really quite remarkable. And we have examples in the positive and in the negative. I grew up in the Billy Graham crusade era where thousands of people would pour out of their seats to a stage to receive Christ as part of this collective something was happening there powerful powerful the influence of crowds to open things up for good or the influence for harm we've seen that here in our nation last summer with the 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 riots and how how things can change so dramatically so quickly but the bottom line what happened from sunday to Friday and then Sunday again. What happened was God. That's what happened. Because this was God's plan all along. Jesus knew that when he rode into town on the donkey claiming to be the Messiah, he knew that Friday was coming. Matthew 16, 21, earlier in Jesus' ministry, this is interesting, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not getting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. What happened between Sunday and Friday is the unfolding of the most powerful plan in all of human history for God to engage his people and bring him to himself. God to open up the door for access to him. Isaiah 53 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
to crush him. You know, one of the most powerful exchanges in this whole week that's coming is the exchange between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate oversaw the region of Judea and the Jews were, all, were constantly causing some sort of trouble for him and he was always just kind of this close to getting kind of canned as the head of that region and ultimately he did. And he was always trying to settle this stuff down. And he was in Jerusalem that week, this week, not because that's where he lived. He lived in Caesarea, but he was in Jerusalem specifically because something was going to happen because Passover was coming. After Jesus' arrest, he ends up in front of Pontius Pilate in a couple of powerful passages that shows that Jesus is 100% in control of everything that's happening here. John chapter 18, verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My, ki- my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Yes, I am a king. And there is great misunderstanding about what that means in this time in history. Now, Jesus is then flogged, beaten, and you understand that many people who were crucified in this time in history never made it to the cross because the flogging was so severe, they died in that process. So this occurs to Jesus, and now he is brought back to Pilate. John chapter 19. The Jews answered him, meaning Pilate, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. All of this was getting out of control and Pilate didn't know what to do. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, and here it is. This is really, really important. He said, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And here it is. Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Jesus is a bloody mess. He has just been beaten within within an inch of his life And he's standing before Pilate and he's saying, I am in complete control of this situation. I am a king. You have said it so. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came into town riding on a donkey, declaring that he is the Messiah. But no one understood 
what that meant. No one understood what it was going to take. We understand in retrospect. We have the value of hindsight. Not the confusion of all that was going on in this time. If you remember that it was only after the resurrection that the disciples remembered what he had said. Today, Jesus rides into town declaring to be the Messiah. And it's my hope that this coming week, you would dive into the gospels, these accounts, and that you would come to your own, in your own journey to understanding the Messiah that came in on Palm Sunday and all the events that occurred in his life that on Friday, and we will come together on Friday, and I hope you can come with us, to look into the moment of the cross where Jesus became the Passover lamb because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins and that the blood of bulls and goats that the Jews have been doing for hundreds of years can never take away sin. It was a temporary covering and Jesus was about to take care of that once for all as the Messiah. So I have two questions today. The first question is for those who are followers of Jesus. At some point in your journey, you said yes to him. You gave your life to him. You asked him to forgive you of your sin. You accepted him as your savior. Having access then granted into an eternal relationship with the living God. My question to you is, do I live like I am a child of the king? Do I live like I am a child of the king? Jesus is the king. He came as the king. That was the declaration all the way through this. Both in the suffering king and the triumphant reigning king. And at some point, you said yes to that king. And my challenge to you this week, my encouragement to you this week, is to walk through this week in self-evaluation I am a child of the king. When it comes to my journey, am I living a life that honors him? Am I seeking him and spending time with him? Am I I treating others the way Jesus would as a reflection of the fact that I am his child? Reflecting Jesus to the world. It's my prayer that this week, as you wake up every day, as you engage God's word, as you reflect on what's coming and you you think about your sin that, that caused Good Friday to happen, you would evaluate that and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I am, yeah, I was in then when I gave my life to you and, and I'm in now, I'm in now. My second question is for those who would say today that they are not a follower of Jesus, that they're not sure what that means exactly, perhaps, that the idea of Jesus going to the cross is, I'm not sure I understand all of that, and that that question is, am I ready to ask Jesus to be the king of my life? 
And it's my challenge to you that this week you would struggle through what is all of this about and that you would engage the scriptures, that you would read through, that you would come to understand on what happened on Friday that that we stand as broken, fallen, sinful people apart from God. And the declaration of this king, King Jesus, is that I died on the cross in your place so that you might have a relationship with the living God. And that by the time Easter rolls around next week, you'd come join us again and you'd say, whoa, I get it now. Yes, I want that. I want to live with Jesus as my king because the only other alternative is living my life with me as my king. And that doesn't go very well. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, this week, reflect, do I live my life as a child of the king? Because if you've given your life to Jesus, that's what you are. That's who you are. And if you've not come to that place yet, that this week would be a powerful journey of coming to clarity on Jesus' claim that he is the Messiah who's died in our place so that we might have eternal life. Will you do it this week? I pray that you will. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the chronicling of this powerful week in history. So much of the gospels is dedicated to everything that happened in this coming week. And I pray, Lord God, that with the distractions of spring break and the ability to travel or whatever it is that's happening this week, Lord God, that we would focus, that we would take the time and the energy to sit each day and read some portion of your word, of the gospels, laid out in this pamphlet that we've put together. God, that we would dedicate our hearts and our minds in a fresh new way as followers of Jesus to you. And Father, for any among us who do not know you, we ask, Lord God, that you would speak to them, give them clarity, that they might walk as followers of Jesus into the future. Jesus, the Messiah, the King. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.